right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time for that. All right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. You know, we wondered for so long, would they be able to do it? Would they actually come through in the moment? And the answer was yes. Tom Brady and Giselle Bunchkin are talking with lawyers Eric, about possibly getting a divorce. That was supposed to be my huge news of the day. <laughs> you just stole my thunder. Oh, that was my it. huge news. Defense. Hey, I do have other huge up. news, though. I had a backup, actually, just in okay. case you did do that. University of Texas Permian Basin women's soccer coach, uh-huh. Carla Tejas, placed on administrative leave. You want to hear what the accusations are? Wait, so what, what school did you say this was? Texas Permian Basin. Okay, I'm pretty sure this is actually um, Dylan Permian, Friday Night Lights, the book and the movie. Really? I don't know. I know it's Dylan Permian, so I don't know All if right, this let is me, the same high school. Let anyway, me, go ahead. Let me get, read you some of what uh, the women's soccer coach, Carla Tejas, is, is accused of at Texas Permian Basin. Arrested for a DWI on September 11th and then asked players to help her pay bail. And the players helped her. Physical interactions with members of the men's soccer team, including kissing in public. Distributing alcohol to minors. Also, she was ejected from a game and then allegedly dressed up in a disguise and re-entered the game. <laughs> she put on like a Guy Fox mask. I don't know. I don't know. Joe Marks Playing, uh, playing uh, ineligible players. Encouraging fouling and injuring opponents, and also encourages cheating on classwork and schedules, team events at late notice, leaving players to struggle to complete schoolwork or create a study schedule. These are the this is the list of things that that she is accused of doing. So that's the huge news of the day: Texas Permian Basin women's soccer. It was going to be Tom Brady and Giselle, mm. but you stole my thunder. But quite the scandal. I had a backup. Okay. Uh, the wait is over, Kansas. DraftKings Sportsbook is here, and the NFL action is in full swing at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. So I'm a little mad because, you know, last week I was like, because by the way, hi, everyone. I wasn't here yesterday. Thank you to Nick for hosting yesterday. Did a great job. And oh, thank you. Giving your uh, recap of everything that happened over the weekend, but you know, when I left on Friday, I was like, man, you can get the early line for KU-TCU next week at plus five and a half. If Kansas beats Iowa State, TCU loses to Oklahoma, as you would expect, Kansas might only be, you know, two, three-point underdogs or something. I felt like a sharp. And then TCU had to drop the <laughs> hammer on Oklahoma, and now the spread is KU plus seven. So I got a worse line than it actually was. So that's annoying. That is, that is tough. So, I don't know. Should I double down now at plus seven? That'll be something that I kind of have to uh, think about over the course of the week. But I do love the over early think, in the week. I think you should double down. I feel better about the over-under right now. 67.5. I mean, TCU is number high, one in the but, country in yards per play. Yeah. And Kansas, we know what their offense can be, at least until 
last week, which we'll get more into that over the course of maybe today and throughout the later shows. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code KLWN to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code KLWN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Deposit restrictions apply. Bonus issued is free bets. One boost per eligible game. 10 plus leg required for 100% boost. Opt-in required. Parlay and wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility and terms at DraftKings.com slash football terms. You know, when we talk about the defense for KU, I think really we had a lot of questions about, okay, it looks like they're getting better. There are certain things that you could point to and say, well, maybe if they just didn't have a slow start, or maybe if that guy didn't fall down, or maybe if that didn't happen, they would have put together a much better effort in the game. And so it was almost like, okay, it seems like they're not that far away from being a more competitive, from being just a better defense overall. Now we saw what it looks like if it all does come together. And I think the question for me now with this defense, because like I said, we were talking last week and we said, what happens if there is a game where the offense struggles? What happens if there is a game where the defense you're playing, like an Iowa State or a Baylor, is able to shut you down? Can the defense win you the game? And they answered with a resounding yes. Yes, we can. Because that was an unbelievable effort they put forward. So the question I have now moving ahead for the defense, do you think that is a representation of them turning the corner? Or do you think that was just a one-off of, now we know that's in there. Now we know the potential's there, but I'm not expecting it week in, week out. Listen, I don't I don't want to be a Debbie Downer after the big win, but I, I think this might be a one-off. I think, I think the defense is probably more, uh, more of what we've already seen earlier in the season than they are more of what we saw against Iowa State, which is not to say that they can't be better or they can to you know this, but this, but I, I have a feeling that we may look back at the end of the season and say, the Iowa State game was their best performance of the year. Like I think that could be a real conversation, which on one hand is is fine, like it helped them win the game. I mean, they won, that's they won the, the game. least amount of points. I think I have the note here in the KU football notes is like the least amount of points that um, they have allowed in a Big 12 only game since, gosh, I want to say it was like 2009 or something like that. But I am not expecting, I'm not expecting the defense to replicate this performance against Iowa State really for the rest of the season. Now, I think the question that you pose actually is rather interesting because we may get an answer, we may get some semblance of an answer this week because you're going to go up against the best offense in the country, basically, in TCU, right? So if they're able to hold TCU down a little bit, then maybe we might revisit this next week and say, okay, maybe this defense is actually a, a you know a legitimate middle-of-the-road defense, right? Because that's probably – I mean, what's, what's the ceiling for this defense? Top six in the Big 12, maybe? Which, if they're top six in the Big 12 and the offense is top three, you probably feel pretty good about winning – more Big 12 games. But I, 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 I really think that we're going to look back on this season and say Iowa State was the best performance by the defense. Which, again, I don't think that's inherently a bad thing because it, it helped them win the game. Without that performance, they don't win this game against Iowa State. But I don't, I'm don't. i not expecting them to, to come back and replicate this or 
for this to be a consistent thing with, of the defense playing to this level that we saw against Iowa State. Yeah. So I, I, I do think to a certain extent it was continuing to turn the corner and improve as a defense. But I do think you're right from the standpoint of I don't expect it to be that good maybe again the rest of this season. I think it's just nice to know that you have that deep down that you could say, hey, if there is one more game down the road where the offense struggles, maybe there's one more in the defense's chamber that they could have that good of a game. Because that's part of it, too. Like, KU could have had a, a good defensive game against Iowa State and gave up 22 points, and that wouldn't have been enough for a win. So yeah. that could happen later in the year. Like, maybe you hold, I don't know, a, a Texas Tech to 24 points, but your offense only puts up 21. Um, and, and that matters, too. Also, as I'm looking at it, and this also takes into account the game they just had against KU, which is going to lower it, certainly. But Iowa State right now on ESPN's College Football Power Index has the lowest offensive efficiency grade in the Big 12. Yeah, they're not a good offense. No, they're not. But that said, Texas Tech, Kansas State are both like not very far away from Iowa State's metric. So maybe that tells you that in those games, when you're playing a couple of those other teams, you do have an opportunity to kind of be great from what you saw. If I gave you 100 guesses for the final score, would you have guessed 14-11? No, I would not have. 1,000 guesses. No. Well, 10,000. Well, I'm trying to add pure numbers. <laughs> I mean. Listen, you know, you, know, you know I'm not a numbers guy. 1,000 I might. You might just get there by nature of there being 1,000 guesses. But I don't. 10,000 guesses, I think you get there. But shoot, man. Yeah. I mean, especially if you, if you would have told me going into it, like Kansas is going to win the game, too. I'd be like, okay, then there's no way they only scored 14 points. <laughs> like, if you told me Iowa State won 14 to 11, I would have been able to get okay. more on board with that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's crazy. And I think that just how good the defense is, like, that's the question to me because I, I know we do have some questions about the offense now um, in terms of what we saw. And like I said, we'll kind of get to that later in the week. But if we still think the offense is maybe it's not, you know, the best in the conference, if we still think it's good, if the defense, like what you said, can kind of hover around like middle of the pack in the Big 12, I think that's probably enough. It could be. Not to what you're talking be. about. Like, what are what are we talking about? What are like, the... I guess... There's no longer <laughs> seven the conversation. Wins. Right, yeah, exactly. Because no longer should the conversation be of to be a bowl team. Well, okay. You're 5-0. I, oh. I mentioned this yesterday while you were gone, but mm -hmm. yeah, it, it seems like throughout this first five games of the season... Everything has revolved around bowl eligibility. Everything. Everything. It's been like bowl eligibility, bowl eligibility. Well, the season doesn't stop whenever KU no. becomes bowl eligible, right? If they're, cool if, it did. if they're 6 and 0, the season's not over, right? Now all of a sudden, but like we've we've only it's it's fascinating. We've only been viewing this KU football team through the lens of bowl eligibility, I think. Right? Yeah. I mean, we haven't had we haven't had any other discussions regarding this team other than just getting to a bowl. Are we shooting too low? <laughs> I don't know. Is it too early to say it? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I think that's where I'm at. Like, even right now, okay, if they went 7-5 and five or something or better, yeah, if you do beat TCU, we're going to have real conversations about are they a Big 12 title contender because that's the way I, I view mean, you, TCU you right to. now. You yeah. have to have that conversation. Absolutely. But, I mean, if the defense like, – like, it's, it's, it, no, it's, it no longer becomes crazy to have that conversation. No. It might not even be crazy now. I don't know. No, it might not. Uh, the defensive line looked really good. Like, it was kind of all the way through. You had Sam Burt, sack and a half. You had Lonnie Phelps continue to cause pressure. Like, a lot of guys stepped up on the defensive line. In the secondary, Kenny Logan had one of his best games. Um, I would kind of argue that 
Kenny Logan was the MVP of the game over Kobe Bryant. Yeah, I mean, Kobe Bryant was good, too, but... Kobe Bryant was great. He was, but Kenny Logan, I think, had, to me, the biggest play of the game. He had more impactful plays, I think, probably. That's probably true. The biggest play of the game to me was Kenny Logan knocking that ball free from Xavier Hutchinson on the uh, touchdown, possibly. Um, I I will say, it was was blatantly obvious that KU's strategy defensively in this game was do not get beat deep. Do not get beat deep. They were giving Iowa State pretty much anything they wanted underneath and shallow crossers. mm -hmm. I mean, Xavier Hutchinson finished with 13 catches for 101 yards. Because they were any time he was running a shallow cross or a slant, they were giving it to him. Yeah, but they rallied and tackled, right? Which is not something you might be able to say about previous iterations of the Kansas defense. They struggled with tackling. Yep. In the past, so really they 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 their defensive game plan they executed it very well, right? They didn't give up any big plays and they tackled. Yeah. So KU answered the bell defensively. Uh, we have some Lance Leipold audio to get to you. Coming up here shortly, Matt Tate's going to join the show in a little over 20 minutes. I did want to share, there's a couple audio clips uh, that I want to get to here from Lance Leipold. He was, because Wisconsin fired Paul Christ yesterday, and just add it to the list of schools that not only are big schools and would have Lance Leipold of interest, but also have ties to Lance Leipold. Um, He obviously coached for years at Wisconsin Whitewater. He was born in Wisconsin. He even had a graduate assistant at a position one time at Wisconsin under Barry Alvarez, the former AD who just recently retired. So clearly that job is going to now, you're going to be hearing stuff about, oh, Wisconsin with Lance Leipold, just the same way we've been hearing Nebraska. So I do want to at least get to this audio kind of uh, in the short term here with Lance Leipold. The the first clip, what do we got here? Is this uh, uh, the Leipold on Wisconsin? Okay, yeah, yeah. So play this uh, because this is kind of telling about his relationship with Paul Christ. Paul Chris is a friend, if that's what you're asking. He's known Paul since probably high school, knew his late father, tried to recruit me. The Wisconsin Platte, he's a, that's a good family, good man, and it's just unfortunate with guys who average nine wins a year get let go. And, um, but, um, you know, it's part, I guess, what we've signed up for now these days, and it's a changing world in a lot of different ways. And, um, that's unfortunate, and uh, it's unfortunate for locker rooms, and I think we lose that as well, and there's a lot of components, and I'm not questioning anyone's decision because there's a lot of factors that go into these that none of us really know. So that's the part that, you know, but that's, that's me as a, a person and a fan, not, not as a coach. Okay, so clearly not happy with Wisconsin firing his friend, Paul Christ. After averaging nine wins, like that's something that does matter because as you're approaching other jobs, if one job is like, hey, you could win nine games a year, we're going to fire you. That does not sound as appealing to a head coach. doesn't mean it's the be-all, end-all in, in the decision and whatnot, but certainly keep that in mind. And if you want to make it even more clear, here was Lance Leipold kind of discussing um, when he was asked about like how do you deal with some of the possible distractions of college game day being here and hearing about these other jobs and the Wisconsin job being open. We're focused on this. I'm focused on this. We're extremely happy here. We have no plans of going anywhere. And um, and anything like that is just, uh, you know, rumors. That, and again, when some of these things will happen, we're, we're, we're in film rooms and other stuff. I don't even know what's going on. I didn't even know some of the stuff that was going on Sunday until later in the evening, I'm getting all of a sudden I got all these text messages. I got I got no idea, and that's so. So 
that should make you feel good with that answer. Certainly, you should be rooting for Jim Leonard that, to do well at Wisconsin. He's a great defensive coordinator. There was rumors about Jim Leonard getting the Nebraska job. So he might just work his way into the job. You should probably be rooting for Wisconsin the rest of the way. But Lance Leipold has kind of given nobody any doubts about where he's going to be next season. Like I said, we see coaches say that all the time because you can't say the alternative and then they leave. But him continually saying it, saying it very strong, I think it has to make you feel good that he'll be in Lawrence for quite some time. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We've got some more of the Lance Leipold Presser coming up next. Matt Tate will join us in about 20 minutes. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is FM 1017 at 1320 KLWN. Derek Johnson with Nick Springer, and we're joined at that time on a Tuesday here by Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. So, Matt, if you could go back in time before the season to your your younger self and, and try to convince your preseason self about how much better this team would be, but you weren't able to actually tell yourself what the record would be at this point, because we don't want to, you know, have any back to the future betting schemes going on. Uh, what would you have told yourself from this day to the the preseason expectations about like trying to convince yourself why this team is just so much better than you might have thought before the year? Holy cow! I got to think about that one. Um, I think. I think I understand what you're asking, and I think I would probably have to start with the fact that Jalen Daniels is, uh, is is being talked about as a Heisman Trophy candidate. Is that fair? Does that yeah? Does that I mean, if, if yeah, if, if you would have had somebody come to you from the future and said, "Hey, through the first five games of the season, like I, I think I saw like the Athletic, like they do their Heisman straw poll." Jalen Daniels is in fourth in that, and, and you said he's going to be considered a top five Heisman candidate through the first five games. You would probably have the assumption that yeah, they're going to be very good. I would think they were at least two and three at that point, at the very <laughs> least. You know, no, of course. I mean, yeah, if, if if that's giving it away without giving it away, that's how I would do it. You know, um, I, I just think that. There's been a lot more to this team than just what Jalen has done, but the attention that he's gotten has sort of been, you know, a little bit of a microcosm of the attention the whole team has gotten. Um, obviously, the quarterback's a pretty important position and a high-profile player on any team, and so you can kind of understand that, that if he's getting some love, then, then the whole team's doing well and getting some love as well, and, and so... I think that's just a, a real easy way to, to kind of tell people things are things are going well and things look good and, uh, and and you know I mean maybe you could talk about Lance and and connections with his name being on lists at Nebraska and Wisconsin but I don't know that that would necessarily tell you that they're five and zero oh. you know I, I think the Heisman Trophy thing is so important because such a big part of that is winning you you, you don't see Heisman Trophy winners on teams that go eight and four, you know, they're generally 12 and 0, 13 and 0, 13 and one, whatever it is, you know? And, and so I think that's, uh, there's a chance that Lance Leipold's name could have popped up on any of those other coaching lists that are out there. Even if this team was three and two, because before the season, I think we all would have thought three and two was a pretty good start. And so uh, I don't think that tells you the full scope of, of where this team is at or would tell you where they're at. Um, 
like telling you that the quarterback a Heisman candidate does. And, and you know, look, Jalen didn't play great last week, and the offense didn't do much, and, and you know, that, that was certainly a hit to his uh, to his Heisman candidacy. Um, but the, the crazy thing about that is they only scored 14 points, and his numbers weren't anything to, to talk about, and it still didn't knock him out completely because we're so early in the season. So if he can find a way to go get another – two, three games in a row here where he puts up five, four or five touchdowns and racks up a bunch of yards, then he's right back in the mix. And, and if, if nothing else, that's probably the most incredible part about this situation right now is that a game like they just had, and granted they won the game, so I don't think anybody on that roster cares about anything other than that. Um, but, you know, the, the fact that he just had that game and still isn't even out of that yet is, is pretty incredible. So, um, yeah, I would, I would definitely start and probably end with Jalen because I think that would tell you everything you needed to know. Yeah, and, and where do you think we should, I guess, kind of re, recalibrate our expectations for this team? Because at this point, like obviously if, if they were to lose their last seven games of the season, just for instance, if you were to take a step back before the season and say – Hey, they would go five and seven. They would be ranked at one point. They would have college game day for the first time ever. I think before the season, a lot of KU fans would say, "Yes, sign me up for that," and you know, run to the hills. But at this point, when you're one win away from bowl eligibility, when you're, I don't know, looking like a team that offensively up until last week has been one of the top teams in the Big Twelve and in the country, and now defensively, you've seen that they can step up and and kind of win you a game there. Like, what should be the actual expectation of, of how the rest of this season goes, whether it is from a win-loss total or, or just kind of what you expect from a, a week-in, week-out situation from this team? It, it, it's so hard to say that because um, I, I think I think it really comes down to each person. You know, I think there are a lot of people that have the capacity in their fandom to look at this team going five and seven from this point on and still look back and say, that was a massively good year. We, all those things you just mentioned, five and oh start, three consecutive sellouts, college game day being here, um, you know, some accolades for, for your players early on, Big 12 player of the week, defensive, offensive, you know, national player of the week type of stuff, national team of the week type of stuff. I mean, if you're able to look at all that, even if they go five and seven, I think objectively you'd have to look at it and say, well, that's pretty good. Like that's more than I thought it was going to be. And I, you know, I know there are a lot of people out there um, begging for attention and jockeying for position right now to say that they, uh, they knew this was coming. I've got one of my best friends who's in your, who's in your trivia contest. Mm. He pretty much predicts KU to go 12 and 0 every year. Yeah. By the way, he told me, uh, he he told me before the Iowa state game, he uh, put a, uh, a penny on uh, KU covering like 19 points against Iowa State at like eight to one odds or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> He's a real high roller. Let's let's <laughs> let's leave it at that. <laughs> but you know, I mean, he says it. He says every year they're going to be 11 and 0, 12 and 0, whatever. And he was right one year back in the day, right 2007 season. And, and he keeps saying it, and he keeps saying it, and he keeps saying it. And so maybe he'll be right again eventually. But it's not because he knows anything. It's because if you say it enough, it'll eventually happen probably. Um, but anyway, getting, getting getting off the case of bashing Ryan Goodwin, um, <laughs> I, I think that it, it comes back to that idea, though, that every fan has to look at this thing and, and, and kind of evaluate it based on 
you know, what their expectations were and are right now moving forward. I know that people will be severely disappointed if they lose their next seven games. That is also entirely possible. I don't think it's going to happen, but it could. And I don't think it would be shocking if it did. So at that point, you'd have to take a deep breath and just look at it and and look at all those things we just listed. And even if you're able to objectively do that, I think you have to look at it and say, well, this was a good year. My goodness. You know, I'd, I, I would take that every year for a while and, and then try to get over the hump or whatever it is. So, um, you know, I think that's a fair way to look at it. I also think it's incredibly fair for people to look at this thing and say, all right, based on right now, if they don't go to a bowl game, that's a major disappointment. And um, I don't think anybody that would say that would be crazy or – uh, you know, wrong either. Um, and, and again, there's no right or wrong. It's everybody's opinion. So, you know, that's part of it. But um, I think if you're, if you're trying to be sort of a protect your heart kind of fan, I think the, the, the way you should proceed from here is expect that they make a bowl game and don't care about anything beyond that. Because to me, a bowl game is kind of like the final four. If you get to the Final Four, you had a hell of a year. And, yeah, you want to win it all, and you got to go beat two good teams to do it. But even if you get blown out by Villanova, you hang a banner and you still talk about your Final Four season and everybody remembers you got to the Final Four. And that's kind of how bowl games are. It's, it's, that, it's that plateau, that, that ceiling that you have to break through. And if you get there, you had a good year. And if you don't get there, you didn't, and you've got work to do. And so I think that, that if you're trying to protect and, and hedge against your emotions and all of that stuff, I think if you're a fan right now and they're sitting at 5-0, and you say, I hope like hell we go to a bowl game. And that's good enough for me because they could go to a bowl game at six and six. They could go to a bowl game at nine and three, but both are bowl games and both should make you feel pretty good about the progress they made and and what happened with this team. So I don't think we're to the point yet. I, I I certainly am not. And I hope, I hope there aren't any fans that are either because I just think they'd be setting themselves up for a letdown, but I hope we're not to the point yet where people are starting to think, well, you know what? This could be a special year. We could get into the college football playoff. I mean, they're not there yet. You know, win this game against TCU, a ranked, unbeaten team, and then maybe go down and beat unranked Oklahoma on their turf. And if you get to 7-0 and and you have those two wins in your bag too, I, I, you know, hey, by all means, get crazy then. Start getting excited. Start thinking – this isn't just about a nice team or a good run or a good start. This is about let's go make some, make some things happen. And, uh, you know, again, depending on who you are and how you view it and what your fanship is like and all that, that, that that's why this is such a hard question to answer because you don't, you know, you can't really think for everyone. You can't get inside everyone's brain, and, and people see it so many different ways. But, but if I were giving advice, that's what I would say. I would say, like, be excited if they make a bowl and, and call that a hell of a year. And don't worry about the details after that. And then if you're trying to get too crazy and get so far ahead of yourself that you don't, you don't know how to think straight, then 
wait till they win these next two games before you start thinking about national championship or college football playoff. And and look, if they win them, get crazy. Have a blast. That's what being a fan's all about. It should be fun. It should be a little bit irrational. It should be it should be a little bit crazy and, you know, flying on emotion and adrenaline and all that stuff. So, um, you know, those two wins would give you the right to do that. But I don't think we're quite there yet and and, and I think they have positioned themselves to to reasonably be expected to make a bowl game now. And that's the fact that we're even talking like this is just incredible. And, uh, and it really, really goes to show how much they've done this year already, because this is wild stuff and, and they deserve a ton of credit for what it is already at five and zero with three sellouts and game day coming. I mean, amazing stuff. Well, Matt, it is interesting because what you were just talking about, it's like, it feels like up to this point in the season, the whole discussion around the goals of this team has been bowl eligibility. And you just kind of talked about it, but, I mean, why, why not allow yourself to, to go a little bit further, right? I mean, is, is bowl eligibility really the top of the mountain? If they're 6-0 and and they've reached the top of the mountain, I mean, why not, why not dream bigger? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, again, that's that's great if you, if your heart can handle doing so. Um, and I know there are a lot of people who who can, you know. Um, I also know there are a lot of people who can't, and and so I would I would just caution people against doing that at this point, just because you don't want to skew the expectations or skew the the production into getting your hopes so high and then being disappointed off of what 95% of the rest of the world would call a really good year. I mean, they could win seven games, go seven and five, and that's an amazing turnaround in one season and certainly points everything in the right direction for KU moving forward. You know, you'd hate to have that happen to your team that you haven't seen win squat for over a decade and then walk away from that disappointed because you got your hopes too high. So that would be the only reason I would caution against it. But yeah, like I said, I mean, if they get to the point where they, where they beat a ranked TCU team and go win at OU, then, then you're starting to think about 2007 a little bit. You're starting to think about, man, they're, 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 they're facing every challenge that people say they can't get through and, and they're getting through them and, and they're winning tough games and they're, and they're winning on the road. And you know, at that point, yeah, get crazy. I, I'm all for that. I just, I just don't want Kansas fans to sit there and expect too much right now, and then end up being disappointed after you know uh, uh, the best year that they've had in 13, 14 seasons. I mean that that's just that's just me, and and that that seems cruel, and that seems kind of like the fate of Kansas fans in a way. So I'm trying to help people help people avoid that. Just sit back, enjoy the ride, and enjoy every second of it that looks good because there's a lot looking good right now, and there's probably a lot of good ahead, too. Well, College Game Day is going to be in town on Saturday. You had your cool little segment last week on College Game Day, so are you going to be the celebrity guest picker? Will you be putting on the Jayhawk helmet uh, at uh, wherever they're going to be doing I don't know if they're going to be doing it on the hill or what. I would assume I would know by now if I mm. was. So um, I'm going to say they found somebody way, way, way bigger <laughs> and more important and better known than me. But uh, but that was cool. I, lo- I really appreciated having a chance to get on there and, and talk about it a little bit. And uh, and I thought the piece was really well done. There were a lot of nice stories last week. Fox did one as well. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's some of the fun of this, right? I mean, it's 
it's obviously very cool for these players and they deserve all the love and all the attention. But, you know, the rest of us, whether you're talking about fans or those of us who cover it or the families of the players or the families of the coaches or whatever it is, they're when you do well in college football, there's a lot of love to go around, and there are a lot of opportunities and doors that open and things that, that get pretty fun in a hurry. I, I, was, I was the media panelist uh, at the Cheez-It Bowl's weekly meeting the other morning, and it was a Zoom thing. I just jumped on, and, and they had me in the room on, on a screen there, and I was the, the media panelist, and, and obviously the Cheez-It Bowl's been in town, and Looked at a couple of Kansas games, and and uh, you know they're starting to do their scouting for for what they might want to do with their bowl selection when they get the chance, or their bowl tie-in, or whatever it is. So, you know, if if that's not weird enough, being on game day was pretty wild. But now we're talking about being a panelist on a bowl at a bowl meeting, even. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of weird things that happen with football, and and to me, what that's done. Uh, you know, because I've covered Kansas basketball a number of years now and, and just covered a national title and, and uh, have covered a handful of Final Fours and been out to the NBA draft a bunch of times and all that stuff, and, and that's all great stuff. But to me, all of this stuff that's coming with this 5-0 and start for Kansas football is, is kind of just a reminder of what we've all learned and know through realignment and through all this other talk in college athletics and all the changes that are that are being uh, kind of made right now, it, it's it's that college football stirs the drink. And you know, I know Kansas fans don't love that, but but this is sort of proof of that right now because you know all of a sudden there's a lot more attention on Kansas um, when there should be a ton of attention on Kansas anyway because they've got arguably the best basketball program in the entire country and the best coach in the entire country and. You know, they're contenders every year. and But I think people have gotten a little complacent with that. And they're like, well, yeah, that's what they do. You know, so it, it's just interesting. And I don't know if you guys have felt that same way, but but I've I've definitely felt like all this extra stuff that comes with KU doing this right now is, is a reminder of just how big the reach of college football is and, and how, how when they talk about that that's what drives realignment and that's what everybody's talking about, you know, that's kind of proof that that's, that that's actually true. Well, if I were you, I would change everything of my life to be addressed as, like, no longer would I want, if I were you, me to address you as Matt Tate, Lawrence Journal World, com. I would want to be known as Matt Tate, Cheez-It Bowl panelist. I was hoping you were going to say that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't want you to say anything to do with game day. I th- I think cheese it bowl <laughs> panelist sounds way cooler than game day guest or whatever you would call it on that. So uh, I'm not afraid to get business cards up. You know what? What I am afraid of is that business cards aren't even a thing anymore. I don't think, and that just makes me sound old. But um, but maybe I am just old. But but yeah, no cheese it bowl panelist sounds good there was there was something in the correspondence that i had with them that that mentioned that you know as as uh thank you for for my time and troubles joining the the panel they they pay and cheese it so i don't <laughs> no know if that's true they never <laughs> asked for my address or anything but they also never asked for my phone number and they found me so they maybe they know. have my address already and maybe i'm gonna get a a case of Cheez-Its on the doorstep here in the next couple oh of weeks or something. The Cheez-It, the Cheez-It Bowl, is, the Cheez-It Bowl point, is all-knowing. <laughs> yeah, well, and right. I mean, and then, you know, uh, it's funny. As you, as I say that, I'm looking out, out my window here at a package on the front sto- doorstep, and 
I don't. It looks a little small, but it kind of looks boxy. You want me to open it? I do. Right yes. Can you air? give us a live <laughs> reveal on air? If these are cheese yeah. its let's see. Let's <laughs> see. As I, it's definitely a box. Well, who knows? It, it could just be something your wife small. ordered, or yeah, looks like it. It's addressed to her. Ah. So that's a bummer. I don't. Man, know. That's a I bummer. don't think that's it. That I thought a great radio right there. Man, so I apologize. that would have been the biggest thing that's ever happened to the show if you would have opened those and they were Cheez Its, though. So it, it was worth the risk. <laughs> just to be sure, I opened it, and yeah, no, it, it looks like it's something for uh, something for an air fresh air filter mm. on a on Not a quite Cheez Its. I mean, nothing exciting at all. No. Yeah, but but I owe you some Cheez Its. So either I get them and we recap the moment where I opened them, um, or I don't get them and they were just trying to entice me to join and. I then would buy you a box of Cheez-Its and bring it to the show someday. Mm. I mean, that's that's the least I can do as a Cheez-It Bowl panelist. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to oversell how important that is, but you do know that I am a Cheez-It Bowl panelist. Yes. So let's let's not forget that. It's very important. Well, you can check out all of Matt's work again, KUSports.com, <laughs> in the LJ World Cheez-It Bowl special or panelist Matt Tate joining us here on RCST. Matt, appreciate the time as always, man. All right, you guys have a great week. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it always. All right, that's Matt Tate, KUSports.com, LJ World, Cheese It Bull panelist. We're going to continue that. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, two to go. This is RCST. In the world of college football, where chaos reigns supreme, one man, one myth, one legend will sort it all out with his college football playoff rankings. This man's name is I love sleeping in on Saturdays And I love college football games You're listening to Derek's College Football Playoff Rankings on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You need to go back to whatever the hell you was doing before you got on the radio. Let's get to the rankings now. All right. We, uh, I mean, I guess I could have just not told you this and said it was for a specific reason, but we just straight up forgot to do my college football playoff rankings last week. No, we but, really did. We really did. I mean, for good reason. There's a lot going on. Not that there's not a lot going on this week, but it put us on higher alert to be like, no, we got to make sure we get to them this week. So apologies yeah, we, for that. We, we dropped the ball on that one. But that means we might have even more change up in the top eight this week, which is exciting. True. Okay, so uh, before we get into the list here, here's who's off from last week, or from two weeks ago, I should say. Texas, if they had more time. I guess technically you could say if they had more time against Texas Tech, maybe, I don't know, because it went to overtime. Nah, they lost, whatever. Yeah. They're gone. Nick Springer, sorry, you're gone. Uh, Incarnate Word and Washington, Washington State, State lost. lost. Yeah, yeah, and, and UIW lost too, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Minnesota, off the list, they lost to Purdue. Yep, sure did. And Florida State lost to Wake Forest last week. So, all off the list. All right, cue the music into the top eight this week. With number eight, Georgia and Alabama are tied. So, Georgia's tied eighth. Alabama's tied eighth. We've never had a tie before. Wait, I thought Georgia was was higher up than eighth. Georgia was eighth. Oh, they were eighth? Yeah. But Alabama's now tied with them. Both okay. are 5-0. and oh. Both of them have won, like, barely escaped it win. No, Blowouts Georgia the rest. has Georgia has two. Who's the other one? Kent State. Kent State that's and not Missouri. An escape it win. They they struggled against Kent State. Okay, that's different they than were, an escape they were it 10, win. They were ten thousand point favorites. 
Yeah, well, I don't I don't judge based on the what Vegas sets it as. Okay, that's not part I of the one by that's, seventeen. That's not part of the uh No, that is not part of the, the, the metric. Committee's metrics. No, it is not. Um yeah, they've both been good, but you know, I'm I'm still waiting to see. Who have you beaten, right? Okay, Georgia beat Oregon, but who has Oregon beaten? Okay, you beat BYU, okay, but who has BYU beaten? Well, BYU beat Baylor, but who has Baylor beaten? You know, Baylor beat Iowa State, but who is Iowa State beating? Iowa, who is Iowa beating? Nobody. So, there you go. There's your answer there. Uh, Alabama blew out somebody last weekend. I don't even remember who. Arkansas. Arkansas. That's Arkansas. right. And Bryce George Young's almost lost. Though. George yeah, almost lost. I know. That's why they're only eighth. To Missouri. Hey, that's why they're only eighth. Don't look at me. Be mad at the AP poll. Be mad at the coaches poll. George is like second. So... I have them properly rated. They're eighth. Okay, uh, into number seven, also staying at number seven, is James Madison. They're 4-0 now. I think we got in on James Madison at the right point. I okay. mean, they're I taking off. I will say this. Mm-hmm. KU and TCU might not be the biggest matchup of undefeateds this weekend. Mm. James Madison is undefeated, and they are playing undefeated. Is it Coastal? Coastal Carolina yes. is undefeated. I think it's Coastal. Woo! They are, yes. KU and TCU, you heard it here first. Man. Not the biggest matchup of undefeated teams this week. Okay. So, yeah, if, if you can only watch two games this weekend, you got to watch James Madison, you got to watch KU. Those are the two. Uh, James Madison's averaging 45 points per game. They're the highest ranked former president. And I think that it's crazy. Wait, you say the, the highest ranked former president? I believe so. Well, how many other foreign, former president teams <laughs> are there? Hey, I mean, I, I just, I just, people feed me these stats. This is from the committee. I'm just doing the committee's work. Um, it's funny because this elite, everybody always talks about, you know, oh, it's so annoying, these conferences, oh, no, they uh, chant SBC, 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 because of their dominance. But it's it, it, it got to make sense. They got to give them where credit's due. Okay, no, Georgia, uh, excuse me. Uh, Is Georgia Southern, Georgia State or something? No, it's actually, it must be next week. They're playing Arkansas State this week, and Arkansas State's two and three. Mm. So fake news. You lied. I thought they were playing, oh, let me look at their schedule. Boo. Okay, number six. Mount Union is number six. I believe Mount Union was uh, Matt Campbell's former school. They showed that on the, the broadcast of the KU game, that it was former Mount Union guy versus former Wisconsin Whitewater guy. Well, Lance Leipold not at Whitewater anymore, and Mount Union is our highest-rated D3 team in our rankings. They are in at number six. If you go by all teams in the FBS, FCS, Division Two and Division Three, so that's four classifications of NCAA football, Mount Union is second among all of those in points per game. The only team who's better than them in points per game is Carleton. But what division is Carleton? Also D3. Okay. Carleton, even though they're averaging like a half point per game more than Mount Union, who Mount Union, by the way, is at 56 points per game, doesn't have quite the defense. Mount Union is giving up only 1.75 points per game. Here are the scores of Mount Union's game so far. 65 nothing. 55-7, 59-0, and 45-0. They're giving up about 110 yards per game. Nick, do you have a favorite board game? A favorite board game? Yes. I, I like Monopoly a lot. Okay. How about Kerplunk? Guy. Ever played Kerplunk? I don't even know what Kerplunk As is. As in quarterback Braxton Plunk. What? Kerplunk is a great board game. I don't even know if it's considered a <laughs> board game. You like pull strings out. There's marbles. It's all sorts of fun. Braxton Plunk is just like that. He's fantastic. <laughs> He's got 16 touchdowns in four games. Get him to New York right now. Into the top How five. How are they not ranked higher? Uh, schedule. <laughs> number five. Whoever is winning the Big Ten East is number five. 
Okay. You have Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State. They're all 5-0. and They're all showing good signs of being really good. Whichever one ends up winning the Big Ten East or is right now, because technically they're all tied without a tiebreaker to come, is the best of them, I guess. Side note, by the way, as I was looking at like the conference standings, and you see Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State tied in the East, all 5-0. and Here's a little trivia for you. Do you know who's okay. winning the West right now? It's Northwestern, is it? It is. Yes. Okay, Northwestern yes. is 1-4. and four. And they are winning the Big Ten West, which that's great for KU's resume, right? KU beat Duke, who beat Northwestern. Yes. Okay, into the top four. Here's who's in the playoff right now. Number four, up from number five last week, Iowa with an average offense. Okay, so right now, if you go, what's an average offense? Well, there's 130 teams in college football. So if you're the 65th, 66th best offense in college football, you're about average. It's slightly under 32 points per game right now. That's really so if you're high. averaging about 31 and a half. Yeah. Where's the defense, guys? Nobody knows anymore. Iowa's, though, they've got a good defense. And uh, if they just had an average offense, they would have beaten Iowa State. They lost 10-7. Yep. Last week to Michigan, they held them to 27 points. They so if they won. had a league average offense, they, they won. They would have won. Yeah. So they would still be undefeated right now. Iowa with a league average offense, 5-0. and They have one of the top defenses in the country. Boom. Put them in there. They're number four. All right, number three, up from number four, is Kansas at 5-0. and There we go. I mean, the Northwestern sort of transitive property win, like that's yep. helpful on the resume. Yep. They essentially have four Power 5 wins if you count Houston. If you count Houston again, you have basically two Power 5 road wins. Offense is explosive. Defense stepped up last week. Kansas in a number three with a Heisman potential quarterback. Any, any problems? No. Okay, no. good. Number two, though. TCU, the Horned Frogs, in at 4-0. and They were unranked they a couple were, yeah. weeks ago, but they are second in the country in yards per game. They're first in the country in yards per play. They are second in the country in points per game. And the defense, depending on what metric you look at, still like kind of top 25, top 30-ish. They're seven-point favorites over Kansas, who we have at number three. Horned Frogs in at number two. That way, Kansas can play the underdog role this week. Okay. Okay. So college game day, the real reason they're coming to Lawrence is because two, three, three. It's, a, it's a two versus three game. Yes. Yes. Yeah, you may see AP poll has them like whatever, 17 yeah, versus they don't, 19 or they something. Don't wanna, yeah, they don't want to tell people that. No. That's the real reason. No, they don't. They got to keep them as the underdogs. But I know. We all do. <laughs> wink, wink. Okay, new number one. Weren't even ranked two weeks ago. The city of Los Angeles. What? Congratulations. Both USC and UCLA are 5-0. and oh. So, number one is Los Angeles, though, because they're combined 10-0. and 0. Okay. And I was thinking about this more. Why should there be two colleges, let alone two? Like, it's one thing if you're like, hey, we have a we have Power 5 college in this city, and then we have a D3. That's like a smaller school. Or we have a JUCO here, right? Why should there be two primary high-level Power 5, soon-to-be Big 10 colleges in the same city? I don't think I could name another city where that's the case. I'm trying to think right now. I hope you don't think of any to, to burst my bubble here. The <laughs> point being, I think we should do the right thing. I mean, this is all about education. This is all about, you know, <clears throat> feeding the, the the system and the economy and, I don't know, all sorts of other words that I, I could use, but I don't want to. Um, Los Angeles should just have one representation for college, right? It should be about the academics. So okay. put them all into one university. They all count together. And if you're just going by pure mass, pure volume, 10 and 0, nobody else can even compete with that. Okay. So here's what I got for you. 
you have Dallas Fort Worth area. You have TCU and SMU. Mm-hmm. Close Which is enough. Not the same. No. Houston. Also, SMU has a loss. Houston, you have Houston and Rice. Mm, no. I don't want to count that. Um, let's see. Boom. No more. Trying to you think. can't think of any. I'm trying to think more. LA in at number one. That's my college football playoff rankings. Deal with well, it. Yeah, okay. You have Duke and North Carolina. They're like five yeah. miles away from each other. Nah, doesn't count. Okay. You have. There's got to be some more on the Eastern Seaboard. Listen, they both are claimed to be in Los Angeles. I don't like that. I think North Carolina, they're like one's Chapel Hill yeah, and Chapel one's Hill. Durham, yeah, right? Chapel so they're technically different cities. But they're, the, the campuses are literally like nope. five miles nope. away from each other. I disagree with this notion. Los Angeles, number one. Deal with it. That's college football playoff rankings. <sighs> this is Rock Truck Sports Talk. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We'll get some more college football talk coming up next. But first, looking for the perfect destination for your next social or corporate gathering. Venue 1235 has you covered. Located right off I-70 in five minutes from downtown Lawrence. We'll be back after this timeout. Welcome back in. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We've got more Lance Leipold audio to share with you coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Joined by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports here. And OU loses again to TCU. I think we were both on the same page last week, Kevin, of, yeah, OU lost to K-State, but we've seen this before. They'll go on a roll from here. Well, that did not look so good against TCU. Baylor loses to Oklahoma State. I guess we just go Oklahoma State is number one in the Big 12 now. Would you agree with that? Or, or I guess what would be your Big 12 title game pick right now? Yeah, I think that you would definitely have Oklahoma State. And then after that, I feel like you just roll a you know a 10-sided die just about to, to get one of the other teams. It's not quite that open. But at the same time, I do think – you know, there are maybe four or five other contenders for that spot. I think Oklahoma State looks like sort of the the best team at this point. But at the same time, I'm not counting out Baylor being in that discussion. I'm not counting out Texas being in that discussion. When you look at that's a team that has one loss in regulation, and it's by one point to Alabama on a last-second field goal, basically. So I'm not counting out Texas in that discussion. Kansas State, I think, has been a little bit more impressive offensively to maybe the point where you would start to slide them back into that discussion. And then, of course, the game that nobody's talking about this week in Lawrence whatsoever, you know, you, you have TCU and Kansas where, where, you, where you have two undefeated teams, you know, and if Kansas wins, not only are they going to be undefeated through the first half of the season, they're going to be 3-0 and in the Big 12 in a spot where we've talked about on this show, potentially there's a team that, that reaches that Big 12 title game at 6-3 at and three, where Kansas would maybe only need to be 3-3 three and three or so over the final six games to put itself into position. And so as crazy as it would have sounded before the season, and you probably never would have invited me back, you know, <laughs> Kansas is in a legitimate spot right now where you're looking at this game and saying Kansas has a legitimate chance to to be in and, and climb into this Big 12 title race. And 
and I think TCU is is right there as well. So it's it's a big group of teams, and Kansas is one of those teams. Yeah. So right now, if if you had to just be like, there's, you know, I don't know, there's no chance that this team plays for the Big Twelve title. How many teams deep would you actually be able to eliminate? So it's it's funny because I actually think that Oklahoma may wind up being a, a top half team in the Big Twelve down the road this year. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if if OU kind of figured some things out. But with the two conference losses, uh, I think it's very hard to see a scenario now where Oklahoma just sort of wakes up all of a sudden and wins its seven next games or, or goes six and one in its last seven games. I, I don't see that happening. I don't see that happening with Iowa State or West Virginia. Texas Tech is an interesting one because I wouldn't eliminate Texas Tech out of hand right now. The one loss uh, is, you know, within the conference is at K-State. I think most of us would have expected that beforehand. But don't forget, Texas Tech hasn't been playing with Shuck at quarterback, and he's supposed to come back here in the next week or two. And Texas Tech has had a brutal schedule as well. And so when you look at all of that, I, I don't think that I would put Texas Tech in the group of contending teams at this point. But they're also not in that group where I'd say absolutely not. This just this just isn't happening for this team. And so at that point, I think you're legitimately looking at, say, seven or so teams that you're not willing to shut the door entirely on right now and maybe three that you're willing to, to say, okay, these, these three probably aren't going to get it done. What do you think the ceiling is for Kansas? Like, could they legitimately – be a Big 12 title contender? Could they legitimately win the Big 12? Yeah, I, I think there's a legitimate chance. I mean, and here's the thing, Derek. Like, to me, if you can get to the Big 12 title game, you can win the Big 12. And, and I know that people would say, well, gosh, like, what if you what if you get a 12-0 and Oklahoma State team or 11-1 and Oklahoma State team? No, it's 60 minutes at that point. And if you're good enough to get to the Big 12 title game, then you are good enough to win that game uh, on a given Saturday. And so I think, you know, if Kansas is good enough to get to the Big 12 title game, which I think that there is a chance that Kansas could get there, when you look at the teams that are still left on the schedule, would you count Texas Tech as an auto loss right now, Derek? No, not at all. What about at Kansas State? No, I, I mean, you're, you're probably underdogs in both games, but it might be by sure. one score. Yeah, yeah. And with some of the variance that you've seen from some of the other teams, there's a chance that, I know this sounds crazy, but there's a chance that Oklahoma hasn't figured things out yet. And, and you just, it's not necessarily that you're looking at these games and you're saying Kansas is going to be favored to win these games. But if you ask me, does Kansas have a chance to get there? A 6-0 and Kansas team, if it beats TCU this weekend, and Kansas will have a chance to win that game, a 6-0 and Kansas team is capable of winning three more games on the schedule and potentially making it to that point. And a 9-3 and Kansas team is a team that's going to have a chance to win that Big 12 title game. And so as, as wild as this would have sounded before the season started, I think one of the things that we've talked about before is the fact that 
when a lot of us were doing our projections for this season, we projected where Kansas was going to be with a good Jalen Daniels, right? But we didn't necessarily project where Kansas would be, where Jalen Daniels is leading the entire country in QBR, where Jalen Daniels is an All-America candidate, where Jalen Daniels is potentially the very best quarterback in the Big 12. And when you look at that, if Daniels rebounds from from last week and if he plays at a high level this season, then that elevates Kansas's level to the point where the Jayhawks could win some games that they may be heading into the season we didn't really think they had a shot at. And potentially that puts them in the chance to, to play that one extra game in addition to uh, in addition to bowl season. So we've talked a lot about the quarterback as, as usual on, on talk radio in general, but um, sure. you know with Jalen Daniels and is he the number one quarterback in the Big 12 and all these things, is this weekend's matchup with KUTCU, is this number one versus number two in, in some order of the top quarterbacks in the conference? It certainly is right now. I, I think the one other guy that we would throw in this discussion, you know, maybe a little bit down the line, and and I think you'd agree with this, it, we just don't have enough of a sample size yet is, is Quinn Ewers. You know, when you look at what he did to Alabama, you know, it's basically a quarter uh, of action. You know, that was the Quinn Ewers that Texas was hoping to get. Now, we don't know that he'll be that guy consistently, and it might be. He's got a little bit of gunslinger to him. It might be that he turns the ball over a little bit more when you're looking at him getting more snaps down the line. But I think leaving Ewers out because we don't really know what you're getting there and what you're getting consistently through the first several games, it it has been Jalen Daniels and Max Duggan. And when you look at candidates for national honors, I think both of those guys are in that discussion right now. And so that's why why I'm kind of interested in this game this weekend, too, is because I, I feel like Jalen Daniels would even tell you that he left some plays on the field against Iowa State. It wasn't his best game of the year. It was, you know, far and away his worst. Kansas still found a way to win. Max Duggan hasn't had that game yet. And Max Duggan, over his career, has had a few of those games, right? Like, we've seen him quite a bit. This is not... A freshman quarterback who's getting his first chance, we have a pretty good sample size on Max Duggan, and maybe he is to the point where he's a legitimate first-team All-American, and he's not going to have an off game. But at the same time, just because he hasn't had one yet doesn't mean that he's not due for one here in the next few weeks. And so I'm very interested to see how Jalen bounces back, and also interested to see if Duggan can sort of keep this uh, this heat check going a little bit. Yeah, I uh I I don't really know what to think of that KU Iowa State game for the for the offense and Jalen yep. Daniels because on one hand is it with how unique the KU offense has been? Is it a book is starting to be out on them? Is it that they just had a bad game? I mean, like you said, these are you know, the, it happens to players all the time, even like Max Duggan in the past or or whatnot. Like you're going to just have down games. Is it uh Iowa State's unique defense? Is Iowa State just that good on that end? Is it uh, KU just missed some opportunities from maybe having a game where they had you know mid twenties points and that wouldn't really be a conversation. And, and it's kind of all and it's kind of all of the above, Derek. Like when you when you look at it, I mean, and I'm not projecting Jalen, excuse me, down the road, but when you look at that game specifically and you pull that up, they left some plays out there that they could have had, 
At the same time, Iowa State's defense was the best defense they played so far. Iowa State was asking questions defensively that Kansas hadn't had to answer yet. And so it was a little bit bit of everything. I mean, I think we can all say that as good as Iowa State's defense was, Iowa State's defense didn't didn't force Jalen Daniels to miss Quentin Skinner when he was open down the field. And it's not just that one play. I think when you pull up the tape, there are other plays in that game that Kansas could have made. There were less maybe than in other games, but Kansas didn't really have its best effort. Some of that's Iowa State. Some of that's schematic. Some of it is Jalen was a little bit off. Some of it was, hey, you missed a block here and there. One of the times, you know, Jared Casey had what looked like a pretty clean block that basically wound up ending a drive because it got flagged for holding. And if you wind up getting the first down there and getting deep into territory, you had a touchdown there. Jalen connects with with Quentin Skinner down the field later, and Kansas scores 28 points. Are we even having this discussion? And, And so I think that that's, you know, how close the margins can be on some of these things, and that's why it's so interesting to watch Kansas's offense moving forward because I do think that it was a combination of, hey, you had a down week. Iowa State was also good and, and had a chance to take advantage of that. But, Derek, in the first half, Kansas averaged six and a half yards of play. And in the second half, Kansas averaged 2.2 yards per play. So it was it was also even within that game that Kansas, you know, maybe wasn't as perfect and as polished and as good in the second half as it was in the first half. And so I do think that uh, if Kansas can start off the TCU game with momentum, you know, maybe, maybe it's sort of thing where we're talking next week and we say, well, that was, that was a blip in the road. And it was, it was really good for Kansas to find a way to get that win anyway. Well, certainly this week in the Big 12 won't just be telling from the Kansas game against TCU. I I wonder if just whoever, you know, wins that game is just going to kind of be automatically vault into the idea of, oh, you know, they could be there. They'll be the dark horse team or they're the number two team behind Oklahoma State. But also, I think the Kansas State Iowa State game could be pretty telling. Obviously, Texas OU this weekend. Uh, what to you do you think is going to be the game that sticks out the most this weekend in terms of future reaction or, or reaction next week for what happens this Saturday? Well, I will say this, Derek, and this is a little off topic, but not 100%. Don't ever leave the Big 12 because <laughs> there is apparently a curse on leaving the Big 12 that, that's out there. You know, you look at Nebraska and Colorado firing their head coaches. Missouri seems ready to fire its coach. Texas A&M looks ready to pay 90-some million to get rid of its coach. And Oklahoma and Texas have, have had the starts that they have. I find that stat so unbelievable that – there are obviously four games in the Big 12 this weekend. Only one of them doesn't feature a ranked team, and it's it's Oklahoma-Texas. And, and so I think that's the game that I think will generate a lot of reaction, is, as crazy as that sounds, because I think, you know, as much as as you want to look at it and say, okay, it's, it's going to be Texas Tech-Oklahoma State, that's a tough task for Texas Tech to go to Oklahoma State and win. You know, I think the, the Kansas State-Iowa State, I'm not sure Iowa State has enough offense to to pull that game out. If they do, maybe that generates quite a bit of talk. But I do think that 
whoever wins Oklahoma, Texas, I mean, people are going to have the pitchforks out for the other guy. <laughs> and I think that, you know, it, it could also be one of those games that I don't want to say is an elimination game necessarily, but it really puts you behind the eight ball in, in terms of, hey, are you going to be able to win this conference if you do lose that game? And so I do think that that's probably going to be the one that generates the most reaction is just, I think Oklahoma and Texas fans are, are kind of on the edge of their seats right now, and uh, and somebody's fixing to explode. How do you think the the KU TCU matchup? I guess like what sticks out to you the most because you do have these two offenses that statistically rank up with anyone in the country. TCU's first in the country in yards per play. I think the one thing that surprises me more, honestly, with TCU is that their defense is kind of holding their own. So if, I mean, it hasn't been as elite as the offense, but especially compared to last year when they struggled. So what sticks out to you about the KU TCU matchup? And I guess what does KU have to do well if they're going to come out with a victory? Well, I think KU, one of the things they did well last week, and obviously it was a significantly worse offensive opponent, but if Kansas' defensive line played the way that it did last week, I saw ESPN's Bill Connolly put out a stat that said, I I believe that Iowa State averaged their ball carriers were getting contacted at minus 0.9 yards after getting the ball. And so if you're hitting a guy a yard deep in the backfield on, you know, on average basically every single carry – you're going to have a lot of success, and I don't know if that's sustainable. It was Kansas' defensive line's best game of the year, and I'm not sure that it's close. That was a big part. Kansas didn't really allow a whole lot of explosive plays in that game, and I think that that's the thing that I'm kind of circling when you look at this matchup and say, hey, what's going to happen is can Kansas force TCU to have to conduct 12-play drives? Can they force them to – have to get down the field without the aid of these giant explosive plays because that was the thing against Oklahoma was Oklahoma didn't even really get tricked or or hoodwinked or there were defensive busts, but they, there weren't really reasons for the bus. They were just kind of there and they allowed TCU to hit on all these big plays and just kind of run and hide. I think two of Duggan's touchdown passes were over 60 yards. He also had an over 60 yard rushing touchdown. And so that's where this game sort of begins and ends for me because I think if they get into a shootout where neither team is stopping the other at all, you do wonder, hey, is Kansas going to have quite as much firepower as TCU with all that skill position talent that they have? Now, if Kansas can slow TCU down, get the occasional mistake, the occasional, hey, they got to kick a field goal rather than score a touchdown, and TCU scores, say, 31 or 35 points, maybe you're in range where, where Kansas can win that game. And so I think holding the explosive plays down is going to be a huge key for Kansas in this one. He is Kevin Flaherty. You can check out all his work with 24-7 Sports and find him at your local barbecue joints in Kansas City. Kevin, <laughs> I appreciate the time as always, man. All right, thanks a lot, guys. Uh, That's Kevin Flaherty. He does great work at 24-7 Sports with CBS Sports as well. Joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Two hours down, one to go. KU Offensive Notes next. This is RCST. Five o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We've got some more Lance Leipold audio to get to you coming up here in a little bit. We've also got our RCST replay coming up a little bit after that. But uh, we've got our KU offensive notes for this week. 
And this one's going to obviously be a little different than uh, some of the past weeks because there's a little <laughs> bit more to, you know, maybe some... see that needs improvement or something from one week to the next. But I will say the offensive line, I thought, continued to play well for KU yeah. in the game. Even with it being a down offensive game, like you look at certain regards, you only had, I think, the one sack that was given up. I don't remember if there was yeah, a second. So. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, it wasn't, you know, the greatest game from the offensive line, maybe as some of the others, but. Again, it wasn't like a horrendous game. You only had the one sack. You had, I think I saw uh, something that Kevin mentioned there was the, you know, yards before contact for the running backs. It was like 2.2, which is actually like a, you know, an above average number. So they were able to get a little bit of a hole for the the running game going. And I don't think it was that bad of a game from them. So Mike Nowitzki continues to play well, and you had some of these guys playing well. That's nice that you had a, even in a down week, it wasn't like, oh, it's just because the KU offensive line was overpowered. Lawrence Ronald didn't get a single catch, by the way. Yeah, that's definitely odd. That sticks out. I think Quentin yep. Skinner had just the one, although he almost had that touchdown. Yeah, that my, my biggest takeaway from this game for Jalen Daniels was, obviously he struggled. Obviously it was his worst game of the season, 7-14, 93 yards. But what stood out to me the most is, even though he struggled, he didn't make the big mistake. He didn't he didn't I think in previous quarterbacks for Kansas would have thrown that would have thrown it into triple coverage at some point. Would have tried to make something happen and had a strip sack fumble. Would have done something, they would have made the big mistake. And that was kind of my biggest takeaway from this game for Jalen Daniels is that even though he was struggling, even though we had a, a not a good game obviously by his standards, he didn't make the big mistake. And that was what must stood out to me about Jalen Daniels' performance is because Oftentimes when you see, when you especially as a quarterback and a younger quarterback, I know Jalen Daniels at this point is a junior, but this is still only his, that was what, his eighth start of, the, eighth start of his career for KU? Well, he started, started I don't remember games. how many games he started in 2020. Oh, okay, I forgot about those. So he started, yeah. so, but the, the point being is like, you see a lot of times with young quarterbacks where maybe if they are struggling or if there is a pressure situation, they, they you know, they try to do too much and they make a mistake and they, and it ultimately could come back to, to cost them the game. So the fact that Jalen Daniels didn't do that, I thought was pretty telling. Like, even when he was struggling, even when it was a close game, and obviously, you know, at some point you figure Jalen Daniels has to let himself be absorbed in the hype a little bit. I mean, you're fourth in the you're fourth in the Heisman race at Kansas. Like, at some point he, that pressure probably it starts to, you know, it seep into his mind a little bit, right? So it's a close game. You're at home. You're trying to win to go five and zero. And then you might try to do something crazy. You might try to scramble out and do something crazy, or you know, like I said, throw it in triple coverage or something. You try to force it into something, and he didn't do that. He didn't do that. Yeah, I. There was that one that was kind of dangerous. That was like to L.J. Arnold toward the end of the. I think it was in the fourth quarter. But you're right. He didn't make like a huge mistake that cost you the game. So there is something in that. I I don't necessarily view it as like yes. There were a few plays that Jalen Daniels hits in the past, like that touchdown to Quentin Skinner. Like in some of the past games, that probably isn't half a step off. Or maybe, you know, there isn't a uh, – or there's an extra third down or something that you convert or something like that. But I just kind of view it as like he didn't get a ton of opportunity, right? He only had 14, 14 passes. Points. A lot of KU in the second half, it wasn't like that aggressive of a nature. And, you know, it was – he wasn't really being aggressive on fourth down, which could have kept up drives and, and allowed the him to make another big play or allowed him to um, 
you know, get more yards on a drive or something like that. KU wasn't being very aggressive in the second half in terms of the play calling, in terms of, you know, throwing on first down or running some of these more aggressive plays and maybe just running some of their base run plays on some of those early downs of the play. So I don't know how much of it was on him specifically. And um, I I don't view this as like Jalen Daniels has been figured out. No, no, not at all. Mm-hmm. No, not at all. But I will say... If you're going to allow yourself to to dream about eight and four KU, nine and three KU, Big Twelve title contender KU, the throws, the play to Quentin Skinner, you have to hit those. You have to hit those against the up against the top Big Twelve teams in the conference. You just got to hit those. And obviously, they still won the game against Iowa State, but against Oklahoma, against Oklahoma State, against Baylor, if you have an opportunity like that. You have to hit it. If, mm-hmm. if 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 truly, if you're gonna if you're gonna say, well, Kansas can be a nine and three team. They can be an eight and four team. They can be a Big Twelve title contender. Like, if you're gonna allow yourself to 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 think that, those are the types of plays that you have to hit. Absolutely have to hit. Yeah. No. I mean, like you're right. This week against TCU, for instance, you know, you don't expect your defense to be able to just completely stifle them like Iowa State did because this TCU offense is really really good. Yeah. So you're going to have to be able to do that uh, in that game. Uh, so it, I, I guess it was really the first time, like it was It was almost like, you know, uh, Achilles, right? Like of Achilles heel, the, I forget if it's Greek or Roman, whatever yeah. it is, yeah. um, where it's like he had no weaknesses until he did, and then it was a very <laughs> fatal weakness. I don't think I saw anything that was like the Achilles heel that was a fatal weakness, but no. it certainly was head scratching after we saw him just kind of roast everyone uh, before then. Yeah, I think Jalen Daniels is, is very fine. Mm-hmm. Running back position is going to be interesting now. It was really unfortunate to see Daniel Highshaw go down. He was really in a breakout year, and it's even worse for him to go down too because you're talking about a guy who literally missed the entirety of last season with another season-ending injury, and it sounds like that'll be kind of be the case uh, for this year. I know Lance Leipold wasn't super descriptive about how long exactly or what the injury would be, but it seems like that's kind of the – the idea of floating around and whatnot. So um, that just kind of means two things. One, increased opportunity for Savion Morrison or Kai Thomas or both. Or it just means that Devin Neal is going to be like bell, bell cow, like workhorse type of running back. Yeah, but uh, Savion Morrison is interesting because he's averaging double-digit yards per carry on the season because they get him on these jet sweeps and he's got pretty good speed. And and obviously we know Kai Thomas has been has been banged up also which has been affecting his availability in games. But also, Torrey Lachlan has been getting a lot of run. Like, even pre-Daniel Heischel injury, he's been getting on the field. Maybe not always as, like, the straight, you know, we're just going to run it with Torrey, Torrey Lachlan, but he's on the field. No, you so could make might... the case that Lachlan has made the biggest play for KU in three of their games. Like, that long touchdown against Houston, he had the fumble recovery and the part return against West Virginia and the fumble recovery against Iowa State. Yeah, so, so Torrey Lachlan could be a guy that suddenly has – more opportunities to get the ball because he's already been getting on the field offensively even before Daniel Highshaw suffered that injury. So, you know, and if and if Kai Thomas, if his injury or if he continues to stay banged up, then I think absolutely Torrey Lachlan's in that conversation. And but yeah, I think also Devin Neal has to has to step up. I mean, I think people were putting Devin Neal in the conversation of being a top two, top three running back in the Big Twelve. I don't know if he's really performed to that level so far this season. I think some of it is just he hasn't had as much of a workload 
as we'd expect. I do. I, I think if he had as much workload as some of those other top backs, he would be right in line. Because, I mean, you're talking about a guy who has, like, the 333 yards through five games don't jump off the page, but he's averaging 6.8 yards per carry. So, like, if he had, you know, I don't know, an extra 20 carries or something like that, he'd have another 120 yards. Maybe this is an opportunity to do that. It is a huge opportunity, though, for Savion Morrison and Kai Thomas. I mean, those are both guys who... Like, specifically for Kai Thomas, and I know he was just injured last week, kind of got buried on the depth chart a little bit after having such high expectations. Here's your chance to kind of make that back and kind of step up as that guy, and this is why it was so good for KU to have that running back depth. I don't think having running back depth in terms of the number three and number four guy necessarily matter for, like, a game-to-game thing, but we saw it at the end of last year. Um you had guys transfer away over the course of the season, obviously the Daniel Highshaw injury, and then you had Devin Neal get hurt at the end of last season, and it was less about what can you do game to game. It was just like, hey, we're playing like a a, a walk-on guy at running back. You going out and getting Kai Thomas and Savion Morrison allow you to still be as successful as you've been so far running the ball, I think, moving forward. Whoever is at running back for KU, though, moving forward, like this is now becoming a problem. you got to <laughs> stop fumbling the ball. You have to. You cannot get away with one fumble every game and recovering it most of the time. Yeah. I mean, that's every single game now that they've had one fumble from the running back position. So that cannot continue. That is not a sign of winning football. That has to fix itself moving forward. Another thing that has to fix itself, the four-minute offense for KU. I think I mentioned this last week that KU was 0 for 2 in terms of four-minute offense. You had the West Virginia game where, and I don't remember, it might not be exactly four minutes both games. Like It might be five minutes against Duke or something like that. But you had the ball with a chance where basically if you get if you get like two one or, or two first, first downs, downs right, yeah. it's over. You just be able to run the clock away. You you ice the game. You don't leave it up in the air to can defense make another stop. And it happened again against Iowa State. You were unable to really get anything going on any of the first couple downs. That has to change. I don't know if it's a play-calling thing of being more aggressive where it feels like in all of those situations, KU is just running up the gut on first and second down, and then you're in third and 10, third and eight every time, and then it's like, well, what are we going to do here? Or if it's a situation of just not executing as well or what it is. But like both of those things, if KU wants to keep going on the course they're on and be a true Big 12 title contender and win eight or nine games, you can't continue to do those two things. Well, and I think the discussion around the Play calling aggressiveness is really interesting because the aggressive play calling is what got them to three and zero. Like that's what got them there. But now in consecutive games against Duke and now against Iowa State, they've really kind of turtled up, turtled up when they've had the ball late in the game and they've gone to a much different play calling style. So that's very curious to me because why? I mean, like I said, that the aggressive play calling is is what got them to three and zero, and then against Duke. You're right. They had a chance to win the game with a couple first downs late. Couldn't do it. Against Iowa State, kind of the same deal. So that that is that is curious. And I I'm not quite sure how to read that. Is 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 it more of like a Lance Leipold thing coming in and saying, Hey, you know, let's just run the ball here or is it Andy Kolnicki changing up what he's doing? I, I don't I don't know, but I think that sometimes the discussion around like aggressive play calling can be a bit convoluted because I think some people see it as like black and white of let's be aggressive or let's not be aggressive when it hardly ever is. But certainly it now in two consecutive weeks it's it's been pretty obvious that 
KU has maybe gone too conservative or turtled up too much late in the game when they had a chance to use their best unit as we as we think it is mm-hmm. to, to win the game. Yeah, because it makes no sense. If you're saying, hey, we have this elite quarterback and we have this really good offense, like let's win the game with them. Or also it doesn't make sense to say we struggle at this regard on offense, even though we're we're good in every other way on the offense. By the way, what do you think of the Jason Mean package? I didn't like it. Yeah, I did I, not like it at all. I wasn't a big fan either because it's again you're taking the ball out of your Heisman candidate quarterback. Yeah, and I did like I like it if you're going to use it as a trick play. I actually did like the play where they handed it off and let Jason Bean throw because that's not something the defense sees and it worked. It got I think like eight yards something like that. But I did not like the running plays and especially on like kind of key downs on like a second down. I don't think you should do it then because then you kind of put your yeah, offense I, in tough yeah, situation. I, I agree with you. I don't hate using Jason Bean, but mm-hmm. I I really did not like the way he was used yeah. inside Iowa State. He is Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. That's our KU Offensive Notes. We'll get to the defensive side coming up tomorrow. More Lance Leipold audio coming up next. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. <laughs>